Welcome to You Wanted a Hit, a podcast in which we discuss unlikely, perplexing, and positively bizarre songs that swept the nation and often the world. Hit songs that looking back make us think, how did this get played on the radio? Do people actually like this? Do we like this? Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm your co-host Michael Smith, and I'll be discussing one song per episode with my co-host and fellow music fanatic, pop culture enthusiast Theo Beidler. Each episode we'll take turns exploring a song, while the other host has no idea what song's the focus until we hit play. Welcome to what episode is this? Where are we We're on? on six. Oh my gosh, you know what? The the next episode is the most important episode we do because apparently most podcasts never go past their sixth episode. So as long as we get to number seven, we have beat most podcasts. Hopefully we will, because we, we, we are, we are <laughs> at the precipice, as they say. Uh, I feel like we've been having a good time. We're stoked about the response. We're stoked to have friends involved. It'd be kind of weird if we gave up after this one. It'd have to be a really shitty episode. <laughs> well, it could be, because this will definitely be uh, our most politically incorrect episode that we have done yet. Uh, I caution any listeners who are listening with their children that this is definitely not the episode for them. I would say that most of our episodes are probably not for your kids, but if you tend to, you know, on a, on a random Sunday afternoon, uh, enjoy listening to podcasts with your children, and you've been teaching them about music history, thanks to Mike and I, uh, this episode is not the one for them, once again. Well, you remember we we had a buddy reach out this week that was like, hey, I'm going on a road trip with my family, going to listen to the podcast. And I was like, all right. Not this episode. So it's a good thing <laughs> that they're doing the road trip this week. <laughs> We're going to talk about some things that are, are inappropriate, and especially are inappropriate for 2020, 2021, whatever year we're in. I would argue that they were inappropriate in 1999 as well, but wasn't my choice to record these songs or make these quotes that I will be uh, rereading later on. So okay. we should just jump in. Uh, we are uh, we're going back to uh, nearish my hometown. We are going to rep some some Philly brethrens here, and we are going to talk about folks that hail from Montgomery County, King of Prussia, to be. Pacific, are you ready? Yeah, that's quite the intro. <laughs> well now, we call this the act of mating, but there are several other very important differences between human beings and animals that you should know about. Hmm. I'd appreciate your input. Oh. Oh, I should have known when you said Philly. It is the infamous bloodhound gang uh, sweat baby sweat baby sex is a bad touch and you do the kind of stuff that only prince would sing about so put your hands i can picture the costumes the choreographed dance Taken back to the school bus in Pennsylvania. <laughs> I feel like all all the all the kids were obsessed with this song. Well, I feel like the older kids in the back of the bus were obsessed with the song, and everyone was trying to like do the dance from the video oh, yeah. that we'd seen on TRL quite a bit. Yeah, and I knew the song was dirty, and this band was dirty when I was younger. I would have been what like thirteen, yeah. fourteen. Uh, but re-listening and rereading a lot. Oh, all their album covers. You'd see all the album covers at like Circuit City or FYE, and they were all really provocative. The uh, single artwork for this song uh, has two zebras having sexual relations. That's right. Yes, <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> it's it's a uh, it's hard to forget. It's ingrained in our in our brains. I don't want to get too far ahead, but I feel like before this song, they were kind of a uh, like an alternative rock band, like a college rock band, right? They were kind of a lot of things. A couple different articles I read said they were more like a rap group, but definitely a lot of the older stuff that I heard was very alternative rock, was very college rocky uh, at the time. Some of it was very, and, and mm. we will actually we'll we'll, just, we'll jump right in. They formed in 1988 as uh, a band called Bang Chamber 8. That makes and sense. And it is very... Yeah, well, <laughs> Bang Chamber number 8. Uh, they were super 80s, very much like Depeche Mode. So some, some like dark new wave going on here. Dig, dig into some of this real quick. 
Wow, so it's like, um, it's actually got, it's got some more like New Order vibes. A little bit, yeah. Like the singing. Yeah. So, uh, the lead singer, Jimmy Pop, is a huge 80s fan. And I found a quote. Right, I, I remember his name. Well, yes, yeah, so he was very instrumental, not instrumental, it's the wrong, definitely the wrong word, but he was very much a part of like the CKY, Bam Margera scene. So he was mm. in Viva La Bam and then a lot of Jackass stuff, uh, along with oh. the bassist, Evil Jared Hasselhoff. Uh, but I found a, a quote, so we'll stick to the uh, <laughs> we'll stick to the early days here. I found a quote from guitarist Lupus Thunder, who said, "Pretty much, if it came before the '80s, he doesn't know it." We were listening to Jimi Hendrix one night, and he was like, "Who is this?" I came over to his house, and he makes us watch tapes of 1985's MTV's 120 Minutes. It's kind of an obsession with him. Okay, you know what? It it's like crazy now for somebody to not know who Jimi Hendrix is. But imagine it just being like 20 years later, <laughs> not knowing who Jimi Hendrix is. I guess. <laughs> you still, if you're in a band, you should know who Jimi Hendrix is, I feel like. Oh, yeah, of course. But he also probably knew a lot of uh, Sleeper 80s hits that we didn't know. So We should try to find him so we can just get some, some tips for the show. So he can give us some songs that we should cover. <laughs> I cannot imagine he'd be hard to find, honestly. Um, so in, in, at dot com. Yeah, I, it, I did find his Twitter, so he is accessible, and he does tweet still. So we'll stick to the late 80s, early 90s. They changed their name from right. Bang Chamber 8 to the Bloodhound Gang, which is a reference to a 1980s PBS show called 321 Contact that featured three young detectives solving mysteries and fighting crime, and they were called the Bloodhound Gang. I feel Gang. like I want to watch this show. I know, but I also feel like that's a very like innocent inspiration for yeah. the name of a band that was anything but... No, I have a feeling that's part of the joke. Perhaps. Early days, I, I read that they were unable to book shows anywhere else, so they first performed in an extra room at evil Jared Hasselhoff's house, who, uh, again, is the bassist of the Bloodhound Gang. Uh, and then the next quote, and this doesn't really make sense, like, logically, how this all connects together, but it, from this article, it says, when the floor caved in one night, they began performing every month at CBGB's in New York City. What? So I guess the floor caved in, and then they somehow got to, like, a, a really exclusive club in New York City? Sure. Uh, I, I feel like that's actually a way to get into CBGB to say, we have nowhere to play, our floor caved in, and CBGB's like, yeah, yeah, no problem. I mean, that's like when Bad Brains went to the UK to tour with The Damned, and they couldn't get their, or they didn't get their work visa sorted out, so they got sent back to the US, and their instruments got confiscated and everything, and they ended up in New York without anything. They're not even from New York, and they end up playing at CBGB's all the time, so I feel like... If you're like, hey, something bad happened to us, CBGB will take you out. There you go. I look back at CBGBs and I imagine it to be very, uh, I imagine I would have fond memories if I had time to, to even see a show there or to play there. But I, I saw a quote from Jimmy Pop. Yeah. Who, when asked about the band's tenure at the club, he was quoted saying, I've seen Caveman with better clubs. I mean, what are you expecting? So apparently he was not a fan. Fair. It's better than a, 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 your your basis basement with a floor caving. <laughs> CBGB better than Evil Jared Hasselhoff's house with the floor caving. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good tagline. <laughs> we need to bring it back. Bloodhound Gang. They released various demos, uh, including uh, and independent LPs, uh, including these are the titles of, of some of their uh, some of their demos and LPs in the early nineties. Original motion picture soundtrack to Hitler's Handicapped Helpers. Oh my God. 1994's Dingleberry Haze and 1995's <laughs> Use Your Fingers. Oh, I remember Use Your Fingers. I remember seeing seeing that around. Oh, do yeah. you? Okay. <laughs> uh, also, do you think that there's some brewery somewhere, microbrewery, making a Dingleberry Haze? I'm 100% positive there is. <laughs> and there's probably a microbrewery out there who is making their next album's title in 1996. After they signed with Geffen Records, which was called One Fierce Beer Coaster. Oh, yeah. I remember that, too. Because it was like, yeah, the, the CD is a beer coaster. Yeah. Self-deprecating. So how do they get to Geffen? Well, uh, you know, there there is they were with a different label prior to that. And on that record, One Fierce Beer Coaster, it features the hit singles Firewater Burn 
Mm. And why is everybody always oh, picking our meat? Firewater Burn was was a, a big alternative rocket. It was. And I have to assume that Firewater Burn was released on a single or was released on an earlier album prior to signing to Gaffin Records because Firewater Burn, obviously, that success of that song leads to the success of uh, the Bad Touch, which is the song I'm talking about here. So we're trying to figure out why a song became popular. We have to start with Firewater Burn, which samples Rockmaster Scott and Dynamic 3's The Roof, The Roof, The Roof is on Fire. It does. Which I, I thought Nelly was the first one to, uh, to jump in there with that, but no, Bloodhound Gang was ahead of the curve there. Nelly heard Bloodhound Gang was like, I could sample that song too. Very well might have, because this would have been a good five or six years before Nelly releases Hot Mirror. Hey, maybe Bloodhound Gang had a big following in St. Louis. I could see it. I could see it, definitely. Fire, Water, Burn, uh, the reason how that became popular, apparently, according to this one article, was that an intern okay. at 107.7 The End in Seattle brought the band or brought the band to the attention of the music director who, liking what he heard, played Firewater Burn on his Friday night show. The, the, the phones lit up. Everyone wanted to know who, who that band was. And because of the, the success there... This is a trend. Was that? This is a trend. It's very much a trend. It's definitely a 90s trend, I think, for young bands or new bands. This is how this is how it happens. Mm-hmm. This is this is pre-internet, mm-hmm. pre-TikTok kids. <laughs> this director, this music director in Seattle, then shares the song with the music director at uh, KROQ in Los Angeles, who adds it to their playlist, and then snowball effect. Oh, wait, K Rock again? Isn't K Rocks who played the Nine Nine Love Balloons? Right? I believe they were. You're right. Yeah, I mean, a huge influential station at the time. Yeah, still is. A snowball effect. That song becomes massively popular. I would assume that this song was probably released prior to them signing with Captain Records because uh, one of the articles I read, so after that song really takes off on K-Rock, according to manager uh, Brett Alperwitz, in an interview with Hit Quarters, Madonna's label Maverick, quote-unquote, really wanted to sign the band in the worst way possible even to the point where I had to tell Madonna that I couldn't put her on the phone with Jimmy Pop. Oh my god. You know Jimmy Pop's just like drunk in the corner somewhere going like, tell Madonna to fuck off. (laughs) He's probably like 18 at this point, 19 years old or some shit. Now, who knows if that's true or not, but I like the story. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, But Madonna had also been palling around with the Beastie Boys, so I don't know. This this all kind of makes sense a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like there's no Bloodhound Gang without the Beastie Boys, but without like license to ill Beastie Boys. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. The, the version that I remember of hearing of, uh, what's it called? Burn, water, burn. Yeah, fire, water, burn. Fire, water, burn. Whenever he says, we don't need no water, let the motherfucker burn. It says, we don't need no water, let the mother burn. Like that was the. That was the clean version. Yeah, I remember that. So did they make, did they make that clean version themselves and start sending that out? Like I have to doubt that. I'm sure that was... Uh, hey, guys, we got to make the clean version and send it out to these cool rock stations. I would assume that their hand was forced on that one. <laughs> so after the success of Firewater Burn and the album mm-hmm. One Fierce Beer Coaster, they released their next album, Hooray for Boobies. Yeah, I remember this one as well. I remember the cover. So the Hooray for Boobies is the album that The Bad Touch is featured on. Okay, there you go. The name... Came from one of their good friends was in the band Nerf Herder. Oh yeah, I know Nerf Herder. Okay, I was not familiar, but yeah, I, they were like a Epitaph Records like skate punk band. Yes, when I listened to a bit of them, it definitely felt like that kind of vibe. Great band name, Star Wars influence. He came walking on stage one time during a U.S. tour, and instead of yelling "Hello Cleveland" or something, he yells "Hooray for boobies!" Right, and this is all coming from uh, their the was it the mm-hmm. drummer Thunder. Uh, Thunder explained, I literally peed myself that day. Jimmy and I talked about it for months. How cool would it be to name our record Hooray for Boobies? Every guy in the world would buy it. We never figured the record company would let it happen, but they said, sure, no problem. Every guy in the world. I mean, it's probably not very far off. (laughs) uh, Guys are idiots. (laughs) The lead singer of Nerf Herder, Perry Grip, uh, who, who sings on one of the Bloodhound Gang songs, I Hope You Die, said that he hardly remembers the incident and the quote saying, when you're drunk on stage, like I usually am, you say all kinds of crazy stuff. But those guys are awesome. We're both funny bands, so we just hit it off. Nerf Herder and the Bloodhound Gang. Got it. <laughs> well, unlike majority of the songs that we have talked about on this podcast so far, um, there is 
no deeper meaning <laughs> to the song whatsoever. Even Achy Breaky Heart this is not a political like, anthem. You know, he said that song was going to unite the world. That song was going to unite the world. It spoke for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had many songs that were like political in nature, were, were doc anthem chants. Mm-hmm. Um, this song uh, is literally about uh, humans uh, fucking like they do in Discovery <laughs> Channel. Which makes it that much more unlikely. Most songs that are about sex that get very popular are metaphorical or they have some sort of euphemism. This is just like straight up. Straight up. One face. The the song itself is is four minutes and 20 seconds in length, which I... That's ass- long. Well, it's long, but I also assume that it's very much done on purpose. Oh, right. Of course. I would not be surprised if all their songs were four minutes and 20 Of course, I go, to, I go to music business speak. I'm like, that's long for a radio single. And you're like, dude, it's 420. <laughs> Dork. <laughs> so according to lupus thunder this is a true story uh jimmy was sitting around this house watching it lucas thunder or lupus it's lupus thunder so does he have lupus no they all have stupid names (laughs) hey my buddy matt has diabetes and he's dj diabetes so oh i love that you know love that Look, I didn't look up Lupus Thunder all that much, so he very much might have lupus. That'll be a fact check, so if anybody knows... If he does, shout out. Are yeah, we doing okay? He's going okay. But he talks about the song's uh, foundation here, and said that Jimmy was sitting around his house, watching the Discovery Channel. Oh, what do you know? What do you know? And there were these monkeys fucking on TV. Oh my god. And he's like, man, even the monkeys are getting laid, and what am I doing? Sitting around writing lyrics for another dumb album. So, I guess the best thing to come out of the boredom and depression was this song. That is from Lupus Thunder. And, uh, as, honestly, is all I found out about the the, the <laughs> history of the song and kind of where it came from. There's which, I don't think there's much more to, to it. say about it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> also, perhaps in the age of where we can find information about this, maybe all the interviews these guys did about this stupid song cannot be found now. <laughs> Uh, I highly doubt it. Uh, when they were popular, like how many publications right now are like, we got to talk to the Bloodhound Gang. Although I'm sure that in 2019, there was some sort of 20 years of the bad touch kind of article. Yeah, maybe. But this is also like one of the most politically incorrect bands. I think it's all in jest, honestly. Like reading some of the interviews that I've seen with, with Jimmy Pop in particular, he's kind of one of those guys who's like, yeah, we love everyone. We just like to make fun of everyone. So it's kind of like the South Park thing, I feel like almost. We cannot talk about the song without talking about the video. The video, if you've never seen it, is uh, just as absurd as you'd imagine a song like this would be. We should probably watch it, right? Oh, we're going to watch it. Uh, the Wikipedia article, oddly enough, does a great job explaining the video. The song's video features a band dressed in their monkey rat costumes with oversized ears in numerous locations in Paris. Mm-hmm. During the video, the band uses blowguns to shoot tranquilizer darts into the buttocks of four passing young women. They then use a fishing rod to dangle a croissant in front of a group of French chefs, enticing them to follow, before finding two effeminate gay men in a cafe, who are then beaten over the head with baguettes and knocked unconscious. A mime artist, played by actor Jordan Prentice, who, by the way, uh, Jordan Prentice calls himself a person of short stature, is captured in a net, then thrown into a cage with four with with the four women, the three chefs, and the gay couple, in a parody of animal collectors capturing frightened species. The band leap around the cage, taunting their captives. As the song draws to an end, the prisoners are released and all dance together in a formation in the street. The mime artist escapes mm. and is run over by a speeding Renault 5, driven by Lupus Thunder. Okay. Kidnapping. <laughs> There's some there's some kidnapping in this video. I feel like we should watch it together. Oh, I'm watching it. I see Jimmy Pot. His eyes are like kind of menacing and he's got that brow. Yeah, he does. He's got beady eyes. All these guys are like kind of I mean, they're Are they are they supposed to be monkeys or people? That's that's the question here. Again, the Wikipedia calls them quote unquote monkey rats. I don't know if that came from the band somewhere. Yeah. So how much did the label spend to fly them to Paris? To film this stupid I video. I really don't understand why the video feels the need to take place in Paris. It's the city of love, man. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah, dude, he's like menacing. 
the way he looks at the camera. Yeah, he kind of is. <laughs> yeah, the mealworms is weird. Really taking oh, yeah. me back to like sixth grade science or whatever when we had the mealworms like in the oatmeal. Yeah, I feel like they're very much going for the whole Discovery Channel vibe there. Yeah, it's kind of hard to follow like what these monkeys are up to in this video by catching mm-hmm. all these people. Because like they just catch them and then sing the song and then they catch the next group of people, put them in a cage. In the middle of Paris. Looks like in a pretty touristy area. Is this like the the animal's revenge? Rather than people hunting and caging animals to go to zoos, the animals are now hunting and capturing people? That's what I think is happening here. That's what I think this okay, video is. I think, I think we're looking here at an animal revenge video. <laughs> yeah. Which, when you put it that way, uh, I, I kind of uh, appreciate it. The only humping that's going on is is the Bloodhound Gang's humping each other. Yes. Well, we're coming up on the great choreographed dance scene here. This is this is the time of like amazing choreographed dance videos from the likes of Britney Spears and NSYNC and Backstreet Boys. I and don't know that this Fatboy Slim. Yeah, but I don't know that this video is at the level uh, of, of those other ones. I mean, I don't think the dancing is at that level, but I remember kids in my school doing this dance. Like, people knew this oh, dance sure. from the video because it was on so often. I don't know. I feel like I usually kind of assume the worst in people, <laughs> but I actually think that video is a little more innocent than we predicted. Yeah, you know what? It, it, I Washington. guess it is less absurd than it definitely could have been. There were some removed scenes. I would imagine there are some removed scenes because the video doesn't make any fucking sense. Well, I'm not sure that the removed scenes would help it make any more sense. (laughs) Uh, Apparently, there is an uncensored version of the video that shows the band playing with and eating a brown semi-liquid food with the implications that it's diarrhea. Um, (laughs) And there is also... As I sip my beer. Right. There is also... a scene in the video featuring a pair of gay men who shared French fries and are subsequently beaten by the band members with baguettes was cut after premiere. Glad complained about the scene to MTV, stating a gay bashing scene in any context in today's culture is not acceptable, which I would agree uh, with. Yeah. yeah. MTV reviewed the video and suggested to Geffen Records that the scene be cut. Bad Touch reached number one in Flanders, which is apparently northern Belgium, Germany, Ireland, Italy, Norway, Scotland, Spain, and Sweden. Oh my god. And it peaked w- within the top 10 in Austria, Denmark, Finland, Iceland, Switzerland, and the UK. This song was like, I knew it was big, but like, that's wild. Big, big song. I, I, I loved one quote from a Medium article kind of recounting the song in the video. She said, the bad touch was on Billboard's Hot 100 in the US mm-hmm. and even reached number one in several garbage European countries. <laughs> Which... Oh my god! I just why is she hitting on all these great no countries? But I kind of loved it. Kind of loved her little quote there. Now, uh, it peaked number five in Australia, number four in New Zealand, number nine in Canada. Do you know where it peaked on the U.S. Hot 100 chart? This is not a number one. There's no way. What's your guess? What's your heart telling you? I don't know. Like 15. Yeah, big song, right? Not huge, but big song. Yeah, it was like a big video song. It was a big it was a big song people were downloading on Napster. Peaked at number 52. Whoa. Right? So it was more on like the alternative stations. So it was. Guess. It peaked at number six on alternative airplay. I couldn't okay. see the whole chart, but uh Chili Pepper's other side was number one the week mm. that it peaked. Of course, God, that song would never go away and it still doesn't. It did peak at number one, I believe, on one of the dance charts. Yeah, and it's kind of like a house sounding song. Yeah, that could be why it did so well in Europe. It's a very like has has some real house vibes to it, and the videos in Paris. True, playing to their their apparent big fans. Now I, I can't talk about the song without talking about the the underlying, um, you know, meaning behind the song. And I found a great article from Mel Magazine where journalist Brian Van Hooker. Uh, he asked three animal reproduction specialists to fact check <laughs> the bad touch. Oh, my God. The entire article is hilarious. Uh, but there are f- some choice lines that I would like to read. I love um, that this guy got paid to write this article. That's great. Well, he's got a lot of good articles where he interviews like plumbers to fact check Mario. 
uh, interviews bus drivers to fact check speed. <laughs> okay, I love this guy. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm I'm gonna be reading his stuff. This so, is fantastic. Uh, he was turned down by like sixty some uh, reproductive specialists <laughs> before finding three that would actually talk to him. Finding three that were like, oh yeah, Bloodhound Gang, fuck yeah, we we'll love that band, fuck yeah. Uh, so there's a couple of funny lines from this. One of these reproductive specialists said, uh, "There's a lot of unacceptable behavior in this video." But there's a lot of unacceptable behavior in the animal kingdom, and humans are a part of that kingdom, and we have a lot of unacceptable behavior. Of course, when we're talking about unacceptable behavior, we're putting a judgment on that behavior based on our culture. But animals don't have such a thing. Sometimes, though, a female will solicit sex. For example, one of the more fascinating things I learned while doing Sex in the Wild, which I believe was his book, female orangutans solicit sex from every male it can find waving her butt in the faces of all males. That way, none of them know which one really is the father, and they all then feel protective of the baby. Pretty fascinating. Uh, orangutans are like a Maury Povich episode. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> uh, other great lines from the article. There is a line from the song that goes, Love, the kind you clean up with a mop and bucket. Uh, the same animal re- reproductive specialist uh, is quoted saying, the animals that have the messiest sex are probably fish. They just squirt their semen everywhere, and it's all over the egg pile. That's pretty messy. I like that they're just providing commentary, really stretching to find things in science that are related to this song. I gotta hand it to them. It's, it's, uh, it's inspired. A-, a different specialist said, pigs are messy. They ejaculate all over the litter, and they have a spiral penis that locks into the female when the sperm is pumped into her. And of domestic animals, they have the largest sperm volume. <laughs> so this is shit you probably didn't want to learn. But, you know, we've told people we hope that they listen to this podcast and learn something, have some fun, hopefully learn something about music, about pop culture, about how the music industry works. I'd say this this episode may be our most educational thus far. Well, certainly about the animal kingdom. There's a line in the song that goes, <laughs> show me yours, I'll show you mine. And one of the uh, animal uh, reproductive specialists, I assume, in a very dry way, said, horses do this. <laughs> now the end of the quote. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, a good follow-up to the entire song. The entire song is about how uh, we as humans uh, have sexual relations doggy style mm-hmm. just like they do on the discovery channel and uh one of these reproductive specialists uh is quoted saying i don't think a lot of people know what dog mating is like and people even get upset when they see dog mating because they don't really understand it after the humping occurs the male enters the female the male steps over and then they're butt to butt there's actually a gland at the back end of a dog's penis that will engorge and create a plug, and they're literally stuck together sometimes for hours. They cannot pull them apart. This is actually what doggy style is like. That is an exact quote from an animal reproductive specialist. And again, we are an educational podcast, so I had to put it all out there. Yeah, I think the people needed to know this. Although I gotta say, as a dog owner, and I know we have many dog owners in our audience, I'm slightly horrified. We're gonna lose. We're gonna lose a lot of those uh, those audiences after this this episode. <laughs> Peta's coming for us. <laughs> Peta's definitely coming for us. Uh, <laughs> so there are other great songs on this album uh, that, honestly, when I was thirteen, fourteen, I definitely didn't listen to, uh, except for this one song. But there's a song called Mope. So you didn't you didn't own that CD, correct? I don't think I did. No, I I didn't own it either. I just saw it all the time in the store. Yeah, I think we were, uh, you know, we were we were young upstanding gentlemen uh and and we we didn't steep to the level of actually purchasing this album we just watched it on mtv and sung it and did the dance yeah. a lot <laughs> but have you ever seen or do you, do you know the song mope uh it sounds really familiar i think so i think that was another popular one amongst the uh the uh preteens in in my circle it must have been somewhat popular because they made a video that's hilarious there's a ton of 80s references. So going back to Jimmy Pop being a big 80s fan, uh, they called it their tribute to Falco. Oh. Because it very much includes a lot of references and samples to Rock Me Amadeus. Hey. Another song we will definitely talk about at some point. Absolutely. 
And the video opens up with the mantra, uh, fuck me Amadeus, fuck me Amadeus, fuck me Amadeus, because of course okay. it does. We're talking about the fucking Bloodhound mm-hmm. Gang. Uh, there's also a Pac-Man cameo within this video, and I'm going to send you... Oh, oh, yeah, I've seen this. I've seen this. I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, I'm going to send you the Pac-Man part in particular because... Oh, yeah, I remember this video very well. I do not remember this, but I fucking love it. I think it was on... Uh, did you have the box? Oh, yeah. It was on the box a lot late at night. So I think stoners and drunk people, they would order it on the box. This is always on at like 1 a.m. on the box. Total stoner song. For any listeners that didn't have the box, because I know it was a regional thing, you could call in. Yeah, you could call in and pay to see videos on the TV because this is pre-YouTube. No computers were playing online videos. So if you wanted to see Will Smith Miami or you wanted to see... 311 or Gloria Estefan, you can just call in and see the video. And it'll come on. And and what's cool is that you knew that so many other people were seeing the same video you called in to request. I think it was like 10 bucks per video. We definitely had it. I'm totally forgot about this part of my history, but I absolutely remember being up late night with buddies like sleepovers watching the box. And yeah, you'd like call in and be like, ah, yeah. our videos aren't. Oh yeah, we used to request videos. I don't know who was paying for those. I feel like somebody would be like, my mom said we could get three box videos tonight. It's like, yeah. <laughs> Can't wait till 1.30 a.m. when we request Wu-Tang Clan Kareem. <laughs> oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of controversies with this band, as you'd imagine. This band's offensive and crude, so I'm not surprised. Before we dive back in... Uh, their album prior to the album we're talking about is One Fierce Beer Coaster. I want to talk about One Fierce Beer Ooh. that I'm drinking right now. And I'm about to open my second one of the episode. It's Sierra Nevada's Hazy Little Thing. Uh, it's a wonderful beer. We are fortunate to have plenty of them in our fridge. Thanks to our friends at Sierra Nevada. Great brewery in Chico, California. Nice people. Good beer. We appreciate them supporting the podcast and you know what we appreciate them helping us get this important information to the people yeah and i appreciate them uh not discontinuing the sponsorship after this episode <laughs> the the things spoken about and quoted in this episode are jimmy pop's thoughts only and not ours these are the thoughts of straight white men with uh no accountability or repercussions in the year 1999 <laughs> That's correct. That is absolutely correct. This is this is last millennium shit. Uh, as we were mentioning, a lot of controversies with this band. We've, we've already mentioned some of them. Apparently, this happened multiple times. And I have to assume that... Oh, boy. I have to assume that... This isn't that bad. This is bad. This is, like, gross. But it's not... It's not, like, bad. It's not controversial. I'm already deep gross, sighing, Ted. Period. Um... <laughs> So I could, uh, I guess I could introduce this in multiple different ways, uh, okay. but I found this one article, well, this blog from this guy <laughs> called The Beave, who I believe lives in Harrisburg, I believe he lives in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Oh, shout out. Seven, seven. He was managing, from what I can gather from this article, this blog post, he was managing different bands at the time. He even had the opportunity to manage the Arctic Monkeys, which he turned down. Because he kind of opens his article with this blog post by saying, like, have you heard of this band? No, you haven't, because I managed them. That's probably why you never heard of them. Uh, have you heard of Arctic Monkeys? Yes, you have. You Are you trying to tell me that he turned down the Arctic Monkeys, but he did manage the uh, furry monkeys from the Bad Touch video? No, he did, wasn't even that lucky. <laughs> but he did travel with them. He was on tour with them. I, I'm assuming doing some sort of crew role, because you'll understand why I'm confused and what his role was. I will jump to more of his stories in a second, but I do want to talk about this one situation, which is a somewhat of a controversy to some people. Um, so this is all from the blog of the bee. <laughs> the blog of the bee. <laughs> they were doing a bit. They were doing a bit where in between songs, Jimmy Pop would just start going into playing a little bit of Depeche Mode. Okay. Enjoy the silence. On okay. an acoustic guitar. Okay. I, I love it thus far. Evil Jared, the bass player, would say something like, stop playing Depeche Mode. Jimmy Pop would start the next song, and then in between the next song, he would play a bit more Depeche Mode. 
Evil Jared would then say, if you play Depeche Mode one more time, I will piss on you. Oh, no. And sure enough, we all know what happened. In the break for the next song, Jimmy Pop starts playing Depeche Mode. So Evil Jared gets on a box. There's a flight case. And again, this is all coming from the blog from the Beeve. And he pushed it slowly across the stage so that it was behind Jimmy playing Depeche Mode. He stood I'm wincing. In the box. People can't Jimmy see it, Pop, but I'm wincing. Jimmy Pop would be playing Depeche Mode, and then Evil Jared would get his lad out. He'd take Jimmy Pop's cap off, and then he'd piss on him. <sighs> Simple band. Very funny. Audience loved it. When he'd finish pissing on him, he'd put his cap back on. Oh the beautiful God. thing was that Jimmy Pop wouldn't look behind him at Evil Jared at any time. When Evil Jared started to piss on him, this was a signal to go to the next song. It was choreographed beautifully. The next song was The Roof, The Roof, The Roof is on Fire. Beautifully. <laughs> He's going to use the word beautifully about this? Uh, so, so they would go to the next song, which is The Roof, The Roof, The Roof is on Fire. He's been saying that, Willis being pissed on, and a roadie would come out and he would light the arch of piss. You, you could have rainbows. It was a sight to behold. I mean, what? if you did it at a performing arts festival, you'd win an award. It was a wonderful thing. This is all from the beef. <laughs> well, the beef has some really interesting taste in, uh, in performing art. I have a yeah. lot of questions. The top of my list is, did all the kids who thought, oh, yeah, we're going to go see these monkey guys, did they know they were going to go see some guy? piss on another guy <laughs> i think they did because they did it very often and apparently it happened a lot within their shows there is picture evidence of this a lot of places uh there also is one video and the I video comes from to see that a festival that this happened in and that led to the controversy i think the fans of bloodhound gang were very fine with this uh they were not okay with it happening at a festival it's like going to a gg allen show oh yes I, I can, I'll, you know, I'll, I will hold the next controversy because I do want to highlight some more of the Beeves commentary because this man's funny as fuck. <laughs> so, yeah. Dude, the Beeve from starts Harrisburg. Out, I got to look this guy up next time I'm in town. The Beeve from Harrisburg, who I'm going to Harrisburg in a couple of days. Uh, the Beeve, I am too. <laughs> the Beeve from Harrisburg, who apparently traveled with the band. So, uh, he starts out by saying, <laughs> quote the cleverest idiots you'll ever meet ah they were wonderful evil jared the bass player he's well known and he's very aware that he's only in the band for his beautiful torso which he will get out at the drop of a hat what? he's not the best at playing it sounds like he would get out a lot of things at <laughs> it's the drop true of a hat. he does he was like super fit at the time uh and still is we'll get to that mm. uh he is so we'll go back to the quote here. He's not the best at playing bass. The fact that he has to have notes written down in front of him and all that. He also has a laser pointer on his bass. He'd use it to point at a girl. She'd get a wristband and she'd be at the after show. There's free Jägermeister and as much free lube as you can oh rub on yourself. <laughs> I don't think I've, I, we haven't had any episodes where I touch my face as much as I have in this one. <laughs> I feel like I'm just like face palming, rubbing my temples, just like swiping my face with my hand from top to bottom. There's a lot of this going on for those that can't see me. <laughs> yeah. So less controversial, uh, but, but funny again from the beef here, when they put a ban on smoking in venues, uh, the Bloodhound Gang, of course, kept smoking. So they, I guess this ban on smoking venues was put in Europe. And they were fined at their first show in London and were threat threatened further fines. So the tour manager put this guy, the Beeve, in charge of stopping the band from smoking on stage. To which the Beeve responded, I can't control the Bloodhound Gang. They're all idiots. Absolute. <laughs> So, but the manager they goes, no, no, like no, no, idiots. no. The manager goes, no, 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 no. Here you go. Here's a bucket of water. What I want you to do is stand on the side of the stage. And if they smoke, just throw a bucket of water on them. And the beef goes, well, electric, electric instruments, isn't that a bit dangerous? Mm -hmm. But the manager goes, yeah, deadly. 
but at least it'll stop them from smoking. Oh my god! <laughs> so here's the thing: they uh, the first next show, the band knows that the beeve is on the side of the stage, and so the band stops the show mid set and says, "This guy isn't letting us smoke, so we are going to go outside for a smoke break." And he's going to come up and entertain you all while we're smoking outside. <laughs> and then before they leave... That's uh, a good move. That's actually a really clever move. A clever move, except for the fact that when they leave, they go, oh, by the way, you can throw shit at him. So then they oh, throw this okay. roadie on stage yeah. oh. who gets shit thrown at him. There we go. And the story continues where like, the next night it happened again. And then the next night, he hid from the band and the crew. The, the crew ended up finding him. And taping him to a chair made him go back out. But when he went back out in a chair, he was defenseless. And so the crowd recognized that. And so the cr- crowd was on his side then. So then he started telling jokes and was like, yo, when the band comes back up, call them a bunch of y- wankers. And so I guess they did. And it was very funny. It was a whole thing. Okay. This one's a little more wholesome. I like this. I wholesome. mean, as, ho- as wholesome as the Bloodhound Gang tying up a guy to a chair and putting him on stage is going to be. <laughs> but if you're interested in more stories about the Bloodhound Gang on tour, uh, which there are more good ones because he talks about stories that he would tell on stage, uh, many of which I thought were uh, inappropriate. So I didn't include them in this <laughs> podcast, which if you've gained anything from this podcast, you would know that they were very inappropriate then. So Right. Considering <laughs> that they were too inappropriate for what we're already talking about. Yeah. The next big uh, controversy that happens, uh, I think will lead well into a where are they now segment. So where is... The Bloodhound Gang. Now, 2003, the band released a DVD entitled One Fierce Beer Run, which chronicles their One Fierce Beer Coaster tour of 1997. So, you know, they came out with One Fierce Fierce Beer Coaster. That album kind of got some traction. They blew up with the next album, with Hooray for Boobies. They ended up releasing this DVD with a, a ton of footage, I guess, that they had filmed on their 1997 tour. Now, I would love Thank to watch God. this. Uh, I couldn't necessarily find it in my quick research here, but I did find the trailer for it, which I feel like we should watch because uh, this band seems absolutely fucking insane when it comes to touring, which, you know, is apropos. So I'm going to send this to you. Um, as we watch it together, I will recite. So. This video, as it plays, has some captions to it, uh, and then it shows some absurdity. I will read it for our listeners. Every rock band's home video must contain certain things. Sex. Drugs. Rock and roll. But what about setting your balls on fire? Uh, There's a lot of balls in here. Oh, my God. (laughs) But this is this is peak. This is like peak jackass, right? Like jackass era. It feels like they're doing jackass stuff. Peak jackass. And the video ends by saying, "Oh, that's right, because there's a Bam Margera connection." Well, we're we're about to get to that. So there is a Bam Margera connection, and and that leads us into this kind of "Where are you now?" type world. Um, So they, yes, this band, Bloodhound Gang, are from. Outside Philadelphia area, they're from Montgomery County, but they are uh, they were tight with the boys in the Bam Margera camp of Jackass. So I myself grew up in Westchester, Pennsylvania, where Bam Margera and crew are from. Uh, and I was friend, my best friend growing up, his older brother mm-hmm. was in the band CKY, Camp Kid Herself, which was Bam's brother's band. Hey, CKY's got some jams that I think have held up. Great fucking jams. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah. So, uh, CKY and Bloodhound Gang were definitely tight, mm-hmm. and the Bloodhound Gang and then Bam and crew definitely became close. So, as I mentioned, Jimmy Pop and Evil Jared Hasselhoff were featured a lot in CKY stuff, and then also later on in MTV's Viva La Bam. <clears throat> the Bloodhound Gang's 2005 album was entitled Heavy Fine, which... There, oh, uh, I, I guess the double entendre. Well, it was supposed to be called Heavy Flow, but it was scrapped because fellow musician Moby had a song at the time by the same name. Uh, and this will be the only time ever that Moby and Bloodhound Gang will ever be connected 
because they are complete opposites <laughs> in so many ways. But this is the second time that Moby's come up on this podcast. Well, Moby will probably come up a lot. A 2005 album entitled Heavy Fine. Well, that title came after evil Jared Hasselhoff was fined during work on MTV's Viva La Bam, where oh. Jared was arrested for attempting to urinate off of a parking garage into a Dixie cup that lead singer Jimmy Pop was holding. Now, this is great because this I know... This has got a real piss thing. I, they're, big, they're big into piss. I know this parking garage. I remember this, this episode because the parking garage is right in downtown Westchester, not far from my house. So, great little connection there. Uh, but that is where they got the album title. I, they kind of hung it up for... I guess they must have hung it up for a bit. But they did come back uh, for their their next controversy. Uh, they were on tour. This, this, the, we're going to need two parts of this episode. <laughs> they were on tour. Uh, the articles that I found were from 2013. Uh, most people cite this incident that happened in Russia for the reason that the band kind of inevitably had their, their end. So the band was touring Eastern Europe and they were in, in Ukraine. And I guess they, this is just prior to heading to Russia. Or there's a video of evil Jared Hasselhoff uh, taking a Russian flag and sticking it down his pants and rubbing it on his ass and his balls and saying, don't tell Putin. Mm. Yeah, they don't like that. They don't like that. So then they came to Russia for a festival where they were arrested. Uh, and they, I've read a couple different things. I read one article that said they were charged with criminal charges. Second time Putin's come up on this podcast, too. <laughs> Putin and Moby. One of the same. So this link I sent you is from RT, which is the Russian news source. Uh, Chiron says, roof's on fire. <laughs> which I is didn't even great. see that. And then they have a picture of the band. Oh, yeah. They had That's a like, DJ, right, in their band? Yes, they did. They had the trendy, like, uh, Limp Biscuit Incubus turntablist guy. Yeah, I believe his name is DJ Q-Ball. Punk band attacked and gig canceled. Are we considering them a punk band? They kind of are. I don't know. They kind of also have this, like, frat boy energy to me. Kind of. They, literally, the song we're talking about says, like, stick your hand it's in like my pants and you'll find my nuts. Punk. Like, of course, like, it's not all. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, 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 it's frat punk. Actually, that's why it reminds me of bands that we would see in college, like seeing in like basements or like yeah. on balconies in the back of parties or frat houses playing dumb songs in between their sublime covers. They just happened to somehow uh, take it to a whole new level. Instead of sublime covers, they did Depeche Mode covers and then peed on each other. <laughs> Jesus. So there, there were rumors that they were going to record a, a release, a 2015 album. It never came out, but there are some songs out there, and there's one song that features Joey Fatone from NSYNC. <laughs> um, th this 2015 album never came. There was also supposed to be... A, he always seemed like the frat boy of NSYNC. It kind of checks out. Uh, there was also supposed to be a documentary about the band that never came to light. Mm. Another well, one. I wouldn't necessarily call that tour DVD a documentary, <laughs> but for this band, maybe it's documentation. It's documentation. <laughs> uh, so that is the last of the Bloodhound Gang. Um, you know, they had relative success. They sold six million albums. Jesus, uh, Jimmy Pop. They're all still alive. Jimmy Pop uh, still tweets. <laughs> they're all still you can alive find somehow. Him. Somehow somebody hasn't uh, just said these guys are annoying. Just throwing them off a cliff. <laughs> Evil Jared Hasselhoff uh, still tweets. Thank God. He also ha he also has an Instagram, and I said we were going to come back to this. Look at Evil Jared Hasselhoff's profile pic in his Instagram. I just sent it to you. Oh, wow. This guy is shredded. Remember that this guy was the guy who apparently, according to the Beave, is only in the band because of his torso, and he actually sucks at bass. I will say a personal touch here. When I was growing up in the Westchester area, I remember going to like a pizza shop or something and there was a I don't know if it was like if it I can't remember if this pinball machine or this game machine was there or if there was just a sign for it but they were selling some sort of game machine that the Bloodhound Gang owned was being sold on this like this this ad of some but sort it wasn't Bloodhound Gang themed it was just something that they no no no, no. <laughs> just sell it down wow that's, Who the that's a stretch that's like Hey, buy this couch that a member of 
Marcy Playground once slept on. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've learned a lot about the Bloodhound Gang, and we learned a little bit about how the song became popular, although it seems like there's not a lot of information about it, which is kind of makes it mystifying. Well, no, I think I think it's pretty obvious. This band, they had the easy access to radio thanks to the, the classic story of an intern finding a song, bringing it to a record station. It snowballed. Then the band released another album that was crazy, absurd, and obviously the video I think helped, but I think what really helped was that this was absolutely the time of Napster. People would have been definitely downloading the song, sharing the song. This it has this song. It's like a song you weren't supposed to have, so you have to download it online, or you yeah. have to like bootleg the video. I think it's that, and I think it's also like before viral was a thing. This is a very viral song, and because yeah, it was it at the was. precipice of the the internet, if you will, of Napster being a thing, it was probably one of the first like viral songs where you were like, "Holy shit, this is hilarious!" I gotta send it to my boys, and I can do it now through LimeWire and Napster and these new things. So. I think it was yeah. the right place, right time for an absurd song of this nature to pop off. Man, good on the uh, major label folks at Geffen who said, we got to make a video in Paris. We got to fly these idiots to Paris. I'm sure that was a task in itself. Make a video uh, that people are going to want to I mean, I record agree. on VHS and show at late night sleepovers. <laughs> yeah, this this is like very perfect late 90s, early 2000s record label conversations. Because you know it's mm-hmm. like, hey, we have to sign this band because, like, of course. But also, like, this is going to be an absolute fucking headache. But it'll be worth it. Yeah. We're going to make a lot of money. The song itself, like, it's funny that they say that evil Jared Hasselhoff's a bad bass player. Because the bass, so- the bass line in this song is such a great bass line. Is it samples? No, it's like a Casio beat. So I feel like it's actually more like keyboard that kind of runs the song. Oh, the 80s. I mean, the 80s bit is, I mean, it sounds like a Frankie Goes to Hollywood song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, great point. Yeah. Which actually, I think Frankie Goes to Hollywood is in the lyrics to Mope. The vocals aren't great. The rapping's not good. The music does, like you said, sounds like stock Casio keyboard music. Like, it's really not a very Mm -hmm, good song. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And yet, it's kind of fucking great. Because 13-year-old Theo and Mike were fucking feeling this shit. I, I I was feeling it. I thought it was hilarious at the time. And so everybody else on the school bus. So 100%. what else were we supposed to talk about other than the Bloodhound Gang? <laughs> we heard from some listeners of uh, the last episode, which is about Iggy Breaky Heart by Billy Ray Cyrus. And we have some feedback from them that we need to discuss. First was via Twitter, actually. Uh, Mr. JM in Chicago, Illinois said, In spite of the flashbacks and trauma that is caused by revisiting 1992, I'm listening to the Achy Breaky episode. And when he talked about the first country single to be certified platinum since 1983, I muttered to myself, Islands in the Stream. I can't prove it, of course, but what kind of nut job would ever claim such a thing? Another fun episode, by the way. But then he says, Do you think that 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 song would have been considered a straight-up pop? So Amy mentioned that. She was like, is that even country anymore? Which... I mean, it's Dolly Parton, Kenny Rogers. It's, it's kind of like Taylor Swift. Like, even some of her stuff charts on the country charts is not country anymore. She's just so embedded in country music. He says, Plus, the reason Harold Chet told Don Juan that the two-chord song was a surefire hit is because it was already a hit. Go on. It is the same song as Don Williams' Tulsa Time. Oh, shit. So, I'm going to send you this. You can take a listen. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. It's like identical. Right. So clearly we didn't know about this. Uh, even into the chorus, it's it's pretty dead on. Hold on, we get there. I kind of like this song better. Ooh, the oh. boots. Also, this performance video, it's from 1982. Uh, Don, Don Williams and the band are kicking ass. It's really good. These guys are they have great. great outfits. His boots are fucking amazing. I like this song. Yeah, I do too. Uh, Eric Clapton also uh, covered this song. This feels very Clapton-esque. Later on. Yeah, it's like a bluesy country song. Uh, Yeah, I was about to say, it's it's like a bluesy, I can break your heart. Yeah, I could see like Chris Stapleton playing this song. 
Don Williams is my grandma's favorite country singer. Okay. Every time I've seen my grandma in the last few years, she's wearing a Don Williams t-shirt. So shout out grandma. What's up? You don't listen to podcasts, <laughs> but it's fine. Um, everyone should check out that live version of that song. By the way, I should mention here that I recently hung out with my girlfriend's grandma and she does listen to podcasts. Really? Nice. Which I think is so badass. Yeah. I did look into this. I did a little research online. There is a lot of fodder online about that song and Achy Breaky Heart being right, very nice. similar, eerily similar. But here's where things get really weird. This is the weirdest mailbag we've had. Mm. Fascinatingly, on his two- 2017 album, Set the Record Straight, Billy Ray Cyrus covered Tulsa Time. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? And the album is called Set the Record Straight. Holy I know, shit. I know, right? Uh, Joe Perry from Aerosmith plays on the song. From what I can tell, Billy Ray has not addressed that they're the same song at all. He just did the song. And there's like a bunch of press about like, Billy Ray Cyrus covers Don Williams. And then there's like comments that are like, it's the same song as Make It Break Your Heart. Like there's all these people online. You look it up, there's like so many blog posts, message boards about these being the same song. Yeah, but clearly, Billy Ray heard Don Williams' song told the time and said, oh, take a break heart. this song, I don't know why, but this song speaks to me. <laughs> and yeah, he, he said, he, wanted to play. he heard, he heard Tulsa's time and said, that's me. I like to think that Billy Ray Cyrus is such a simple man that he didn't make the connection at all that it sounded like his song. It just spoke to him. It simply right? spoke to him. It did indeed. So he covered Tulsa Time with Joe Perry from Aerosmith. And then he, on the same album, he released a dance remix of the song featuring his daughter, Noah Cyrus. It's like an EDM version of it. Sure. An EDM remix of his cover of Tulsa Time, which is just like the song, Make It Break Your Heart. That same album features three new ver- versions of Achy Break Your Heart. <laughs> So you couldn't even pretend like it's like, oh, wow, I didn't even realize it's, it's been so many years. You're literally covering the song that you might have copied and you are then playing that song multiple times on the album. Yes. Uh, the Spanish version we listened to in the last sure. episode. And there is a remix featuring Ronnie Millsap for some reason. For a damn good reason, if you ask me. And then there is a dance remix of... Achy Breaky Heart, which I can't believe that last time when we were talking about Achy Breaky Heart, there's just so much information to share. Uh, I didn't mention that there are uh, electronic dance remixes of Achy Breaky Heart, at least three of them. Um, two of them are actually sanctioned by Tilly Ray himself and has been on releases uh, because he just won't stop recording and releasing this song. But Amy, who was our guest on the last episode, actually hipped me to uh some of these dance remixes so those exist and that adds to the heaps of versions of this song that he's recorded yeah it's probably countless at this point well then let me get ahead of future mailbags i am aware that there are multiple dance versions of the bad touch Mm, one of them it's done by none other than future podcast subjects, Eiffel 65. Oh, really? There's a bad touch Eiffel 65. That's the most late 90s thing I could even imagine, a Bloodhound Gang remix by Eiffel 65. That's almost as 90s as the award show featuring yes. <laughs> uh, Bobby Brown, Motley Crue with their new singer and Billy Ray Cyrus and Alvin from Alvin the Chipmunks. <laughs> if if you did not listen to the last episode, you would be sitting here right now being like, what the fuck? Yeah, it happened. Go back and listen. <laughs> One more bit on the mailbag actually from me. Mm. Uh, I just discovered I, I was searching for some imagery of Achy Breaky Heart uh, to promote the last episode. And do you remember the woman in the music video who we talked about who had the white denim jacket with the sequins yeah. and the and the rhinestones? Yeah. That is none other than Tish Cyrus. No way! The uh, yeah. uh, art interior decorator extraordinaire. Yes. Uh, and Billy Ray's wife and the mother of their many famous children, Tish Cyrus, 
But we mentioned her in the last episode. We we're like, oh man, look at this lady. She's awesome. That's Tish. Yeah. Well, she's an interior yeah, designer. Well, she's apparently an exterior designer for her own jean jackets too. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So that's the mailbag. I am simultaneously perplexed, disturbed, and entertained by the song that you share with me tonight and the stories behind it. I hope to never hang out with these yeah. guys. If you are a huge fan of the Bloodhound guy and you know a lot of great stories, please send them our way so we can talk about them in the next mailbag. Because I think the next song, whatever it is, Mike, that you choose, I assume, will be uh, you know much less... Uh, uh, disturbing, disgusting. If you're a huge Bloodhound Gang fan in 2021, I have a lot of questions that I don't want answered. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, let's hit stop. That was a fun one. That's a wrap on this episode of You Wanted a Hit. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Good luck getting the bad touch out of your head. Please remember to subscribe so you know when the next episode is out. And if you listen on Apple, write a review, but only if it's nice. Follow us on Twitter at YWAHpod and let us know what you think. Or tell us what we missed by sending us an email at YWAHpod at gmail.com. We welcome any suggestions for songs for future episodes, so bring them on. And lastly, share with a friend if you had a good time. This podcast was researched, produced, recorded, and edited by me and Theo Beidler. And our theme music is by Air Doctor. We'll see you next time.